At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is even capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun but it just is it just is even in a world where men have nipples and those warm leatherettes continue to slap us across the face but birdie num num it's all good when you get the audio version of aeon bite live raw uncensored and unfiltered just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences Supercharged by stellar audience participation. Consider this a holiday special, or more like a holiday intervention. Times have been hard during 2020. So much financial, mental, and health stress going on right now. And the holiday season only amplifies shit. So I thought I'd do a special show to assist those who need help or just wish to find their authentic self as quickly as possible. Our astral guests were Rachel Connerly and Tim Kelly, author of True Purpose, 12 Strategies for Discovering the Difference You Are Meant to Make. We discuss active imagination, Gestalt therapy, projection, complexes, dream therapy, and many techniques to overcome fear and find deeper purpose in life. We can overcome and we can remove the blocks from our inevitable awakening and higher destiny. This show is complete for everyone. 
It's a gift to all my audiences, and I hope you realize the amazing gift you are to the Aeons, and how the Archons got nothing on ya. Trust me on this. Truly appreciate those of you who continually support. I can't do it without you. Please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say, and we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up or simply cope in these Gnostic times. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. So happy holidays or whatever you celebrate. We're not done yet in 2020 at a Yum Bite. Right after Christmas, Alex Sakiris returns to the virtual Alexandria to discuss the issue of evil. A very Gnostic Christmas topic. But enough of my short drivel led us to our latest AB Live, which is more like another Finding Hermes. Thus, let's continue to walk through those doors with the God of the Mind, and let's keep putting our cards on the table so we may be transparent to the transcendent. You have nothing to fear, I assure you. Fear fills the void at all costs, passing off what you dread for what you know, offering up the worst in place of the ambiguous, substituting assumption for reason. Fear replaces the unknown with the awful. Now, fear is self-realizing. When you face the greatest need to look outside yourself and think critically, fear beats a retreat deep inside your mind, shrinking and distorting your view, drowning your capacity for critical thought with a flood of disruptive emotions. When you face a compelling opportunity to take action, fear lulls you into inaction, enticing you to passively watch its prophecies fulfill themselves. How do you live your life eyes wide open? It is a learned discipline. It can be taught. It can be practiced. I'll summarize very briefly. Hold yourself accountable for every moment, every thought, every detail. See beyond your fears, Recognize your assumptions, harness your internal strength, silence your internal critic, correct your misconceptions about luck and about success, accept your strengths and your weaknesses and understand the difference, open your hearts to your bountiful blessings. Your fears, your critics, your heroes, your villains, they are your excuses, rationalizations, shortcuts, justifications, your surrender. They are fictions you perceive as reality. Choose to see through them. Choose to let them go. You are the creator of your reality. With that empowerment comes complete responsibility. I chose to step out of fear's tunnel into terrain uncharted and undefined. I chose to build there a blessed life.
fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is near insanity, Katar. Do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. We are all telling ourselves a story. Well, we are live. Welcome, everybody, to AB Live on this, uh, I don't want to say holiday special, but more like a holiday intervention. This is, uh, it is a special show because, uh, as I've said recently, uh, these are some dark times. These are some times of stress with the lockdown, the pandemic, the holidays are already hard. The uncertainty of the ending of this year and the starting of the next year. So I thought uh, we would do a panel to provide all those tools and to get acquainted with some psychological and Jungian tools. And despite uh, my dark tone, this is actually always a time of celebration because meeting your shadow, your ego, and all that is always a good thing when you think about it. So with us, it is a pleasure to have once again back Rachel Connerly. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Wonderful. Great to have you back. And uh, as we talked, you are in a barn. Are you looking over Mary and Joseph as we speak? Kind of. I'm looking over a beautiful meadow. There is a barn in it. I'm in the old-timey country store next to my house, which is being renovated. Awesome. Well, it looks like a great place to be, mm-hmm. and I uh, love the candle. And with us, too, we have the pleasure of being joined by Tim Kelly, author of True Purpose, 12 Strategies for Discovering the Difference You Are Meant to Make. Tim, thank you very much for coming on AM Byte. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. I brought a candle, too. So didn't want to be left out like a candle in the wind. Awesome. And of course, as always, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine here. My mangy manger. Looking forward to finding out how my Christmas complexes will be resolved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's going to happen. Awesome. And for the audience, I see people are already rolling into the comments, uh, into the chat rooms of YouTube and Facebook. As always and forever, if you have any questions, please type uh, lots of question marks at the end or put them in all caps so that Vance or myself can get to them. Perhaps uh, who you're addressing, if you're addressing Tim or Rachel, let us know so we can get to them and feel free if you need to uh, express anything or you're dealing with a certain issue, let us know. We will definitely do our best. I know I... I always need as much tools as possible in the old toolbox, and uh, I can't have enough good gnosis, as I like to say. So I guess to start out with, uh, 
probably uh, Tim, could you tell the audience, well, again, Rachel was with us a few months ago, so I think many know about her from the interview. It was a great interview. but They Tim, might have missed it, though. They might need a little reminder. <laughs> All right. Well, how about that reminder? I'm, I'm completely sober. I don't drink. This is my natural fumbling over myself. Rachel, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself to Tim and everybody else. Well, I just recently moved to the most northwestern corner of North Carolina. So I'm in the high country and that's pretty chilly right now. And as I said, my house is being renovated. I'm a coach and a consultant and I teach something called the collaborative operating system. And when I was with Miguel and Moondog, uh, October 20th, and it was episode 489, we talked about complexes which are one of the most underutilized, perhaps, but most potent aspects of Jung psychology. Is that good? Works for me. Does it work for everybody else? All right, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tim, it's your turn now. Yeah, sure. So uh, I I would say if if people, I I don't like to use titles much, but if people press me, I say, okay, if you want a title, I'm a global change agent. That's my, that's my job title. So busy trying to upgrade human society, create a new world, bring heaven on earth, that sort of thing. Um, And the way I do that is, uh, so I've trained a lot of consultants and coaches and how to find people's and organizations purpose, several thousand folks. Um, worked with, I don't know, a couple hundred companies. I'm not really sure at this point on their higher purpose and also two countries so far and hope to do more of that work. Um, and I work with uh, CEOs and politicians and other leaders who are trying to change the world and help them evolve into better change agents. So, Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Well, uh, the question I see, and for some reason, I want to jump on it right there to you, Tim. And uh, somebody just asked, what is my purpose? And yes, I noticed that right away. Paper sock is going going right for the gusto. Why, why, say, why do not, not? Pasco, do not collect 200. Just go for it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in life, that should be everybody's first question before you decide what college, who you're going to date, who's your favorite football team. Just come out of the womb and say, what's my purpose? There you go. First question before you decide. So what would you say? How do people find their purpose, Tim? Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, Paper Sock, I don't know you well enough to just rattle your purpose off the top of my head. That would take a little longer. Um, but uh, I and actually, I've only ever like told someone their purpose, like your purpose is X, maybe twice. I don't generally consider that to be a good process. <laughs> Rachel would concur. Rachel knows a good process when she sees one. Um, So I was trained a lot in good process by Rachel. So a better process is to help people find their own purpose, right? So teach a a woman to fish and that sort of thing. So um, the... There are different ways of doing it. So the ways most people try, I would say, is either ask and wait. Gee, I wonder what my purpose is. (laughs) Crickets, right? Or... Um, trial and error. That's the other big fan favorite is try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try this. Um, the problem with both of those is they're really inefficient. They can take a really long time and don't necessarily result in an answer. (laughs) Um, so in terms of real methodology, there's kind of two ways of doing it. If you, if you don't get lucky and find it by accident, 
Um, one way is to play connect the dots. And so if you hire a coach or read a book or take a workshop, usually what they'll do is they say, well, if you had a year to live, what would you do? Or if you um, won the lottery, what would you do? Or what's the things that you've done in your life that have made you the most passionate and fulfilled or stuff like that? And you take the answers to that and you sort of play connect the dots and look for patterns in those responses. And those patterns can sort of ballpark your purpose. That's the most common way of doing it. My preferred method, which will fit really well with a Jungian Gnostic kind of audience, is to go probing around in the unconscious looking for it. Because if the idea is, well, I have a purpose and I don't know what it is, so I'm looking for it, that meets the definition of unconscious, right? It's true about me, but I don't know it. Therefore, it's unconscious. So then that implies that the right place to look is in the unconscious. So rather than thinking about it, which is the conscious mind trying to answer the question up above the line, it's like, well, let's go under the line and go looking for the information. And the way I teach people to do that is things like guided visualization, for example, or active imagination, where you're actually trying to, to interact with something that lives in the unconscious that does have access to the purpose and ask it, okay, you're down there with the purpose. Tell me, what is it? And then if it works, it tells you. And it's like, oh, well, glad you asked. It's this. And now you know. So that's that's my preferred technique. The problem, of course, is that it requires certain conditions to be set up to be able to poke around in the unconscious. But once you get those conditions set up, then it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, it reminds me of uh, we were having a conversation last night at a meeting uh, with Vance, and I offered this exercise from the Gestalt theory where if you have uh, a bad dream or a fantasy or a vision – you get two chairs and you sit on one chair and you are you. And then you sit on the other chair and you play the role of this shadow evil figure in your dreams. The and, thing, the dream symbol, whatever it was. Yeah. Yep. And yep. I think the key is you, once you give voice to your unconscious, cause your conscious is always talking and has the end. Once you give it a voice, mm -hmm. the ego will listen. Isn't that mm -hmm. pretty much it? And that's well, the once the ego gets over his fear of asking the question in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pain <laughs> in my life it's like oh i can't handle the oh pain. all right <laughs> if you insist i'll go looking <laughs> yeah. and rachel so uh what would you say about this or um also i've been quoting you and your ideas on depression and suicide i've said in any show so feel free to speak to this or uh, speak about how some methods individuals can find their purpose. And of course, that should alleviate a lot of, de you know, depression and anxiety, even though depression and anxiety are just part of being human. Yeah, well, the thing I say about purpose, this body of work that Tim's created is that it's a great organizing principle for your life, because it helps you define the journey and it helps you make the journey explicit, sufficiently explicit, that you can really get engaged, get some traction in it. And, you know, for me, kind of tagging back to the um, episode we did on complexes, I would say this is the ultimate break with external authority, you know, because you are leaving and going inward and deciding for yourself what your job is going to be. You stop planning your job around your purpose and you uh, rather, your purpose around your job and you do it the other way. Everything gets wrapped um, according to what your purpose is. So 
-hmm. I guess that's what I would say at this juncture. Yeah, and I felt kind of unmoored for much of my life until I found my purpose. And, and, and personally, it's not true of everyone, but it's definitely true of me. If I don't know why I'm doing something, I'm way less effective. It's sort of a character defect. So I had to find my purpose in order to really be fully effective. <laughs> awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, by purpose, how would you define purpose? I mean, yeah, so there's different definitions. <clears throat> Um, so uh, if you look in a dictionary, it'll say something like an aim or goal, which is fine. I mean, it's like a small p purpose. So you could ask, like, what's the purpose of this meeting? Or what's the purpose of being on this podcast or something like that? Or what, what was your purpose in coming here today? That's a perfectly valid question. That's a very kind of small scale purpose. And the system that Rachel trained me in the collaborative operating system, you ask that about everything, right? What's the, what's the purpose of this role? What's the purpose of this team? What's the purpose of this company? What's the purpose of the meeting? Don't do anything until you have a purpose lined up, right? And that's, that's a really good best practice in life in general. In this context, though, when PaperSock asks, what's my purpose? Now we're talking about the purpose of a person, Right, or the purpose of a company or something like that, or the purpose of a country. Now you're dealing with the same concept roughly, but on a much bigger scale. And so to me, they're equivalent. It's just a question of what scale you're operating on. And the way I would define it, and as a mathematician by training, that's like actually very important to me to define things well, is purpose is the answer to the question, why? So why are we here? What's our purpose in being here? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? Right. So when paper paper sock is asking, what is my purpose? Another way of saying it is paper sock is asking, why am I here? Why am I incarnated in this body on this planet doing all this stuff? What what's that about? Right. And you can treat that as an imponderable, but I prefer to treat it as a ponderable. <laughs> like I, I think it's better to come up with a specific answer to the question. And then, like Rachel said, use that answer as a navigational tool in life to say, well, is this job or this job more purposeful? Is going left or right more purposeful? And you don't always have to do the most purposeful thing. There might be good reasons to do a less purposeful thing, but it sure does help to ask the question and to pay attention and to use it as a criterion in making key decisions. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, I always wonder because, um, you have somebody like Joseph Campbell, who was obviously a Jungian. Mm -hmm. uh, and when Bill Maher asked him, well, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? He's like, well, what's the purpose of a flea? It only is he, he leaned right into his Hindu, you know, his Eastern, mm -hmm. his, uh, his other mm -hmm. passion. Right. But I would disagree. I mean, I would agree and disagree. I say each one of us as an avatar has a role to play in the karmic world, regardless of how, meaningless or how depressed or how low I, I tell people the greatest trick the devil ever ever uh, said was telling you you have no purpose of meaning we all have mm -hmm. one and it's right. a it's a valuable and important one yeah. now you may not know what it is you can choose not to find it and having found it you can choose not to follow it like having a purpose doesn't compromise free will However, <laughs> smart money says if you do find it and you do follow it, likely you'll get good some good results from that unless you do it in a really stupid way. It's going to make you more fulfilled. Actually, they've done a lot of research. People who have a purpose and follow a purpose feel more fulfilled. 
They're generally more successful, earn more money, live longer. They're more resistant to certain diseases, including heart disease and Alzheimer's disease. Um, and they have better sex. So if you could bottle it and sell it as a vitamin, you could make billions of dollars, right? So the, the good news is it's free, right? No one can keep it from you or give it to you. It's yours. It's interesting that you brought up the uh, Joseph Campbell, because I was just thinking that uh, there's a strong relationship between, uh, I think, Tim's purpose work and engaging the hero's journey. And I would like to hear you say a few words about that, and I'll chime in with a few of my own if I don't. You being me? <clears throat> yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it, think of it as a tool for the journey, right? So the the young hero has to you know gird and and equip himself when he goes out to to face the world. And so if, if life is a path, right, if this is a path, a journey, and, and we're trying to navigate the trials and tribulations, right, especially if you're viewing it through a Gnostic lens, right, then there's, there's a lot of challenge to be faced. Mm -hmm. And the purpose is essential equipment for the road. You're actually equipping yourself with a very powerful tool, maybe even a weapon, depending on how you look at things, that's going to help you face the challenge that you're going to face and more importantly find your way right this going through the dark forest or something and potentially getting lost and um you know eaten by a dragon or whatever so its purpose is very much like a compass or a gps device at every turn it can tell you which way to go um and that's that's super useful especially in a very practical sense in a increasingly chaotic and confusing and rapidly changing world where predicting the future becomes a joke, having a compass that can tell you which way to go is increasingly valuable. What do you think, Rachel? Anything to say on this? Well, yeah, I love what Tim said. And it gave me a real sense that there were going to be these threshold crossings over and over again and I might as well get used to it. I mean, to engage a life of purpose is to say yes to the journey and be willing to leave your place of comfort and to go and to go again and to go again. You know, um, it's a life of adventure. It's the ultimate adventure, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I see a question here that might be relevant to this. Uh, first, a random question. Um, which is uh, Benjamin wants to know, do you guys welcome random questions? Yes, but no guarantee we'll answer them. Um, and then uh, the other one, please speak about the programmed fears that we all get in childhood that prevent our growth. I think that's relevant because that's some of the brambles along the path that we have to face when we're uh, traveling and, and you know, particularly this sort of latter half of life thing where you're going back and picking up the stuff that you dropped along the path on the first half, there's this sort of return back through the trials and tribulations of childhood that happens in the individuation process. And so, you know, now you accumulate fears, we accumulate wounds and beliefs and create parts. Um, and there's all this stuff that, that gets accumulated early in life 
that then part of the hero's journey is to go back and face that. Like in it, it really in the individuation process, the real dragons are inside. They're not outside. <laughs> They're internal. The external stuff that looks scary is just out projections of the internal stuff that's scary. And if you can face the internal dragon, the external one just turns into a paper dragon and folds up and goes away. Um, so as I understand it, and this is kind of running sort of into a psychological version of the hero's journey that, you know, that we get one or more core wounds when we're young, hopefully if everything works properly and then develop all this shielding and all these strategies and all these defenses and fears and beliefs and stuff in response to that, the complexes that Rachel was talking about a couple months ago. And then at some point in life where we're struggling, struggling to go, Hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the problem here, <laughs> right? I'm the one creating all the noise and the sturm und drang. It's not out there. It looks like it's out there, but that's a trick. Like it's like the Wizard of Oz is like, no, no, no. It's not this big booming thing over there. It's this dude behind the curtain over here. <laughs> hey, you know and then now I have to go back and say, okay, well, how did I create all of that? What what were the parts and the beliefs and what were the emotions I suppressed and and the patterns I developed in response to whatever those childhood events were that were so unacceptable to me that they forced me to develop an ego, right? What, 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 what meaning do I make of all of that? And that's the dragons that you're facing along the path. Not, not the external stuff. The external stuff is just noise. Well, thank you. And good, good question and good answer. Uh, I wanted to uh, actually, let me say one last thing. And those don't prevent growth. Those are the growth, right? F facing that stuff is the growth. <laughs> To Rodolph's yeah. question. <clears throat> exactly. And well said. Uh, uh, for you, Rachel, I was thinking the other day, mm -hmm. my wife is always trying to quit smoking. And I, I don't, I love to smoke. I would smoke in my sleep. Ask Vance, I would smoke in my sleep if I had a trip, if I was allowed to, if my unconscious would let this go. But she's, you know, she makes it a few hours and she's like, God damn it. When I was 21, I could quit for seven days, 30 days. And I want to tell her something like, well, that's because the younger we are, the more we can switch out our complexes, children reinvent themselves. And you know, that Jungian stuff doesn't go very well, but it's, I think it's true, isn't it? I mean, w as children, we could reinvent ourselves. And that, am I right saying it's because children are just a bundle of complexes? So in a way, as we get older, should we continue to try reinventing ourselves, switching out those complexes? Or what do you think? Well, you know, I said it's all about integrating them so that we're not living from the complex so that we don't, we have them, they don't have us. And uh, you think your wife smoking is a complex? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I think her ego has solidified and that's oh. how it is i think uh and mm -hmm. when she's smoking i, I tell her something well you <laughs> see because i tend to be who i am i said you know you have to kill yourself she's like what do you mean i said oh sorry kill your worldview right. kill your ego and allow another complex to come in in other words it is the alchemical negretto and the death and resurrection if we want to overcome really any addiction right right well, you know, thinking about purpose, this is a little bit tangential, but, you know, it seems to me that it, um, 
compels us to do the thing that we must do to save ourselves and save our mind. And that is to, to ensure that we are being guided from within instead of guided from without. And I think though, you know, purpose, this whole kind of organizing system principle for life that Tim's created does take the voices and bring them in, you know, rather than whatever's the complex is chirping in our ear. So, um, yeah. What, how would you, Tim, do you have any connections to complexes and purpose and. Yeah. So, um, and, and someone asked in the chat about, but by the way, there's a lively debate going on about war in the chat that I find fascinating, but I'm not, I'm not going to weigh in. So <laughs> they're, they're having a high old time. Um, <laughs> you have to be right. Tim. You have to be right on the, well, now that, see now that complex, I have unwound that one uh, and that, you, you, you nailed it. That's exactly yeah. right. That was my, well, will you, thank you for that. We'll use myself as an example. So my dad, um, was very critical when I was young. Whenever I'd make a mistake, he'd point it out immediately and jump in my shit, right? So I was thinking about this. I didn't like it at all, right? That the thing that creates the complex is this unacceptable emotional feeling that the child is having. Like, this sucks. I'm not willing to feel this, the young child says, whatever it is. Mom abandoning you in the crib or dad leaving or you know, the birth of a younger sibling. I mean, wounds come in all sorts of forms, right? And so now it's like, oh, this sucks. Ah, yeah. So I'm feeling this criticism from my dad and like not willing to, this is a game I'm not willing to play, right? So I'm thinking, what do I do about this? So the child has to come up with a solution to this. And I actually spoke it out loud. We were driving on the car on vacation. I've been thinking for a long time about this problem. And I announced to my family, I'm six years old. I say, dad, I'm going to learn everything there is to know. And then you won't be able to criticize me anymore. <clears throat> and no one said anything. They were like, <laughs> what do you, you will be to, God to the kid? The like that's nice here, you know? Right. right. <laughs> So as, as Rachel can affirm, that resulted in a complex where I always had to be right. <clears throat> and so I started memorizing stuff. And Rachel can tell you, like, you can take me out to dinner and ask me a question about just about anything. And then you have to decide how long you want to let me go before you hit the pause button. Right. <laughs> Am I telling truth, Rachel? Is this true? It's true. <laughs> and that's because I always had to be right. Just as you said, Miguel, that was very insightful of you. Good intuition. So then I spend my life trying to be right, which is very annoying to the people around me um, as I'm constantly trying to answer every question that's asked before anyone else gets a chance to raising my hand in class, all this kind of stuff. It's just, you know, creates a whole set of behaviors that are kind of like, you know, um, but I'm doing that because that's, that's going to save me. Right. So now how do I unwind that? And this is where we're getting to that question of how do I go in? What do I do? And so one of the people in the chat talked about feeling emotions. That's part of it. If I could feel the underlying sense of shame and inadequacy that I was feeling when my dad was criticizing me and tolerate it, then I don't have to engage in that behavior. I don't have to defend myself. I can just sit there and go, wow, boy, that I feel a lot of inadequacy and shame. Boy, that sucks. But whatever, you know, tomorrow will be a new day and I'll be fine. 
right? But the, but the the whole psyche is designed to avoid this feeling at all costs, right? So, but yeah, so you have to like really school yourself to sit still and feel it. And the psyche will do anything it can to distract you away from that. Oh, look at that shiny object over there. Oh no, there's a, right? <laughs> oh, your phone's ringing, right? Because it wants to do anything other than that. Uh, but if you can school yourself to do that, that's one path, one strategy for unwinding the complex. Another strategy for it is going in and talking to the parts that got created when this happened, right? So you mentioned gestalt earlier. That's one way. Mm -hmm. um, voice dialogue, psychosynthesis, internal family systems therapy. There's all these different schools, NLP parts work. Um, for uh, going in and talking to the constituent subpersonalities that are acting out the play internally. And so in there are various defensive voices, the one that's going to memorize everything, the one that's going to be in control, these ones who's, who are tasked with implementing the strategy. And underneath and behind them, the one behind the curtain is the wounded child. This is the one who was having the sucky experience and now went into the unconscious with all these unpleasant feelings. So I could go on about my business and convince myself that everything was fine. Right? And so if I can befriend all of those parts and help them express themselves, maybe modify their job descriptions a little bit, make them all conscious, there's kind of things you can do with these parts that then has them not feel so compulsive about following the instructions they were given when I was six. And then the third leg of this, which I learned from a colleague of mine, Jeffrey Van Dyke, very cool guy that Rachel knows, um, that you, in addition to the emotions and the parts, there's also a belief in there, a belief I created about myself to justify why it was happening to me. So the child always blames themselves for the wound. They can't afford to blame the parents because they're the source of survival, right? That that's that you can't can't throw the parents under the bus, right? It's you got to blame yourself. So the belief I created was I'm a st stupid, worthless failure, mm. right? And that's why my dad is criticizing me. Then the complex devotes itself to disproving the belief and suppressing the emotions, but the belief is at the heart of it. So it's like a gerbil wheel. You can't ever. That's the way complex. They just keep reifying themselves, right? And so if I can undo that belief, that also causes the whole complex to fall apart. So now I can joke and laugh and say, I have no idea, <laughs> which I couldn't have said before I unwound that complex, right? So those are different ways of going in and kind of like they're different lenses through which you can view the complex through the emotion lens or the parts lens or the memory lens or the belief lens and, and kind of unhook and unwind pieces of it. And if you do a good job of unhooking it, it sort of falls apart and then your ego kind of goes Bleh, and collapses, <laughs> which, which is a good thing, right? And yeah. it's not so compulsive anymore. <laughs> so when you used to see that uh, saying where Socrates went to the temple of Delphi, uh, he was the wisest man because he knew nothing. Tim would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold, no, not me. No, no, no. I know everything. Socrates is not Socrates. I'm even less than Socrates. I am yeah. going to one-up Socrates if I can. That's so strong. That's really great advice. That, and, uh, that would have been one of those things where the, the robot starts to go, does not compute and yeah. smoke starts coming out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the part. Vance, do you have a comment or any other questions from the audience? Yeah, we had a couple of questions. Uh, let's see. Um, 
this is a good one too, and I'm dealing with this with my son. How do we encourage our young people in the age of COVID to seek their purpose since they're bombarded so much these days and, you know, limited too, you know, that all the schools shutting down and uh, social interactions, you know, this last part is my own commentary, but um, who has some thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I'll just say that, um, that a lot of young people are more focused on purpose than my generation was at their age. Uh, at, at, yeah. And so um, like the, the, uh, the millennials, for example, the Gen Ys, they uh, will often evaluate their first job in light of whether they feel it aligns with their purpose and their values or not. So I was just talking with a guy from Florida yesterday. He's active in local politics. Uh, I saw him presenting on the 50th anniversary of the March on Selma, Alabama and, mm -hmm. and um, really smart young kid. And uh, I, he, I, I was talking to him about purpose and this kind of stuff. He goes, yeah, I says, that stuff's really important to me. You know, I was just in a job interview the other day and I asked the company why they do what they do. And they couldn't really answer the question. And so I said, well, what are we doing here? Why are we having this conversation? And I left the interview. <laughs> 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 I'm like, well, that's, that's a bold move. And I've seen that in statistics about millennials that they'll just, and I've heard anecdotal versions of it too. Well, they're, they're not afraid to just quit a job and go move into their parents' basement. You know, it doesn't bother them that much. I wouldn't have done it. No way, you know, but, but they don't mind. And so... Um, they, uh, they, they're constantly evaluating, not, not just where they work, but also where they spend their money in terms of, is it, does that align with my purpose and my values or not? Do I want to support this organization and its goals with my expertise and work or with my customer money? Um, no, no, I don't like this organization. I'm going to go do this other one. And once they find one they do like, they advertise for it. They promote it. And they go on social media and brag about it and wear, they'll buy the t-shirt and wear the brand, you know? So th there seems to be a lot of that going on already. Um, and, and they're, and they will spend more money on a product with social benefit, uh, in order to have the right thing. So that seems to be naturally happening already, which is a good thing because there's so much distraction going on now. Rachel, your thoughts on that? <clears throat> Well, I agree with all that. Um, you know, my big focus right now, my purpose, uh, I think is kind of climbing up uh, a level. And so what I'm really interested these in these days is being self-directed, exercising will, um, tackling negative voices, or we call it self-talk. And this purpose work has helped me do that mightily. I think it could be useful to young people in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, there's some risk of interfering with ego formation, doing purpose work too young, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, there's a certain amount of bumping and grinding and wounding and, and falling down and getting up again that happens in the teenage years and the 20s that's, that's really necessary to develop a functional ego. And, you know, ego gets a real bad rap in a lot of circles, and I think unfairly so. And, and 
if you want to go on the hero's journey, ego's also essential equipment <laughs> for the road. <laughs> it's our interface to the world, right? Exactly. And so you don't want to compromise the development of the ego. Now, once it's developed, right, it, the kind of people who would attend a call like this would then all be into modifying it and tweaking it and doing stuff with it. That's fine. That's like renovating your house or an art project or souping up your car or something like, of course you want to change it and improve it. That's fine. But that doesn't mean that having one is fundamentally a problem. Um, so it's important. So, so I know way too much about this kind of child development stuff. And so, and my wife does too. She also teaches consciousness workshops. So my poor kid, we're like, okay, we got to be careful. We just have to like, we're just parents, right? We're just doing our thing. We're feeding the kid. We're sending the kid to school. We're not, we're not like, um, you know, muck with his psyche while it's growing. <laughs> and I, I gave myself permission to do a little bit. So my son holds the world record in terms of age and speed for finding his purpose using the true purpose methodology found it at 14 he's got it there's a tie for age there was another 14 year old boy who did it as well and for speed it's 12 minutes and i don't know that that record's ever gonna get broken it usually takes weeks um and so uh, so he knew his purpose from age 14 but he's kind of just sort of set it aside and gone back to doing stuff and i'm like no problem. <laughs> and the other thing I taught him fairly young, like eight or 10 years old was how to do parts work. And he's really good at it. So he'll like have an issue at school or something. And I say, well, did you check with your parts about that? And he goes, oh, good idea. Hang on. Well, there were two parts that I had an issue with that. And I worked a deal out with one and I did. And I'm like, what? That was five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> But he's really good at it because we were doing voice dialogue when he was like eight. So he, I've never seen anyone who can do it as quickly and as well as he can. So that's the tools I gave him that aren't part of the standard toolkit. But the, the purpose thing, I, I think for most people, it's really kind of irrelevant before about 25. I don't know that it's really helpful before that. Um, and, and really, the person has to be the judge of when they're interested enough to be ready, right? Right. Anybody else, man? So I have some questions. Um, I had I had one question myself. Um, although let's see, we had uh, at least two other questions on board here. Um, it seems to me, and you guys could disagree, that these days, if you listen to the media and what you know, the channels that society has to most people, they're telling us that society has um, is harmful. The progress of society is harmful. You know, we're polluting, we're using too much energy, this and that, we're not sustainable, da, 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 da. And, you know, I hear very little in terms of positive, like, well, let's progress and develop better technologies or whatever. It's all almost aimed at cutting everything back. And I think that's probably one of the problems our young people face because, well, let's see, I want to be an engineer. No, that's no good because engineers are building machines that are polluting everything and it's not sustainable and we're using too much energy. You know, that's, I'm exaggerating maybe, but that, that's kind of the feeling that I get having, you know, lived through a time where we weren't suffering under that so much. So uh, what do we, what do we tell our young people um, and ourselves, for that matter, um, in a world that seems to be sorry for itself, <laughs> apologizing for the development of society, uh, what do we do? You know, in that scenario, mm -hmm. 
Rachel, you want to, or shall I? You go. Okay. <laughs> um, so I have two responses to that. One is that I think there's natural negativity bias in the brain that has us see the downside of things first. And so when we're looking at society, we tend to see what's not working. It's the squeaky wheel thing, right? There's four wheels. This one's squeaky. We notice the squeaky one. Uh oh, there's a wheel problem. Well, there's only a wheel problem with 25% of the wheels, but all of our attention is on the one that's making the noise. So we naturally see the features of society that we don't like and would like to change. So that's one answer. Actually, I realize I have three answers. Um, so if you read, there's a book called Peter Diamandis, I think his name is, called The Future is Better Than You Think. And it's basically full of statistics showing how things are getting extremely better every year, steeply, like majorly, majorly better. Um, and showing increases in liter literacy, increases in healthcare, increases in all sorts of, and, and it's not a straight line. It's like the stock market, you know, goes up like this, but the, but huge improvements in short periods of time continually in society, but invisible to us because we're focused on the stuff we don't like and the stuff that's not working. That's one thing. The second thing is in terms of spiral dynamics, I don't know if folks are familiar with that, but this is like a system of looking at kind of different levels of collective consciousness. And it's sort of tracking the evolution of human consciousness from sort of tribal magical thinking to hierarchies to this different stuff. And so the, the progressive left right now is at what's the, called the green level. And it's the last level on the first tier, which is where you're still doing good, bad, right, wrong like that. When you get to the second tier, you kind of graduate out of that um, into yellow, which would be like the collaborative operating system that Rachel created where it's systems thinking. But the green folks on the progressive left, it's naturally about deciding what's wrong and whose fault it is. And so if you look at how progressives speak, it's all in that frame. Watch uh, Michael Moore's movies. It's a great expression of this worldview. So it's like the 99% good, 1% bad. Um, uh, you know, indigenous and ethnic good, white males bad. Um, and, and you just get all this this right, wrong, good, bad stuff. Everything's categorized that way. And that naturally creates a lot of conflict. And the implied process of change is let's all agree on what's wrong and whose fault it is as step one. The problem is there's no step two in that process because you'll never get beyond that diametrically opposed conflict of blame. So in order to actually make things change, you have to get above that into the systems thinking where you're treating everyone as part of the solution instead of half of the world is good and half of the world is bad. And that's hard to do. Right, it, the natural tendency is to want to see the other as being at fault. All you have to do is think about your friends who are getting divorced, and they both have a really good story about why it's all the other one's fault, <laughs> and they're both right. I mean, th that's basically how society's working right now. Right, so that's the second thing. The third thing for people who really want to change the world is the thing you feel most passionate out there that's broken and wrong and needs fixing is an out projection of something in your own unconscious that you desperately want to fix and heal. 
like those poor persecuted whales somewhere in your psyche there's some symbolic whale thing that's being hunted and you need to go your inner whale your inner whale you need you need to go deal with your inner whale and save it and then you'll be in a better position to go deal with the actual whales right so you know my thinking is that kids more than anything need a cogent coherent worldview you know to the degree we can impart something like that uh, I think we can do them a, a lot of good and purpose is a contender for cogent, coherent worldview. Very engaging one. That's my thought. I would say yeah, so and, too. and, you know, we're meaning makers, right? We need narratives. We need a, a positive narrative about what the world is and how to engage with it. And I, I, I like to use the change agent narrative, right? Which is that there's a project going on of upgrading society or creating the new paradigm or a world that works for everyone or heaven on earth or whatever you want to call it. And do you want to be on the project team? And, and that frame invites people to be their best selves and to try to find a way to contribute to the positive evolution of society which is not only good for society, it's good for them as individuals to perceive themselves as being part of such a project. That's a psychologically healthy way to engage with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, I had a question for the Thanks. both of you. Uh, when both of you have worked with companies and you obviously see companies as uh or organism, egregores, uh, a bunch <laughs> of complexes, not the traditional living, breathing energies. And, and you've always, and you both heal this psyche. Cause obviously we all know from the real world and Dilbert and all the, how dysfunctional most companies are and how much therapy and relief, but how do you, what is your take on the way governments have reacted this year? Because obviously you see, this is a, this is new. I'm sure some politicians are taking advantage, but others, they're just trying to do the best they can and give orders to their towns and cities and try to talk to their citizens as adults, although it doesn't come across they're talking to their citizens as adults. Uh, the citizens don't but, always respond like adults. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Just like at work when this, you know, they give an order, or there's a rebellion. Right. So what would you say, Tim? Uh, how would you say our leaders and politicians could act better mm -hmm. or more functional in this, again, this uh, grand psyche of 2020, this egregore yeah. that we've created with the virus. Yeah, well, I think Rachel and I agree where country companies are concerned, but disagree where governments and such are concerned. I think she has a, a different perspective than I do, but I'll leave that to her. Are you, are you <laughs> saying that uh, a government and a business are completely different entities? No, no, no. I actually see them much the same. And so in response to your question, so let's, let's take the U.S. specifically, um, in part because we've had the most polarized and dysfunctional response to the COVID and, and all this stuff compared to other countries, including places like Uganda. I mean, not just other developed countries. We're doing worse than a lot of undeveloped countries. Um, so uh, some years ago, there's a guy named Richard Barrett who created a values system, uh, cultural transformation tools or something like that which is a way of measuring the values of an individual or a collective. Collective could be a team, a company, a country, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, two of the countries they measured were Iceland and the U.S. And one of the things they met you, one of the, the statistics you can get out of this is a very rich statistical thing when you do this. And you, so you do a random sample and all this kind of stuff, right? So you get some good numbers back. Um, uh, one of the things they measure is something called cultural, cultural entropy. And cultural entropy is the percentage of the values driving the system that are based on fear. And high cultural entropy is bad. <clears throat> and Iceland was something like, I don't know, 43% or something like that, <clears throat> which is anything above 25% is really dangerous. And so they interviewed him on Icelandic television and said, so what does that mean if we have a cultural entropy of 43%? said, well, if it were a, com- a country, uh, excuse me, a company, I would say you're about to go out of business. You're about to go bankrupt. And three weeks later, Iceland went bankrupt. (laughs) So good prediction on Richard's part. Roughly the same time, within a few years, they measured the U.S. cultural and cultural entropy. And it was something like 51%, something insanely high, dangerously high. And I knew this and I thought, you know, the U.S. can't really go bankrupt in the same way that Iceland can. The way our economy works, it's just not really possible. The economy's got too much momentum. It's too big. Too much of the world has money invested in the U.S. We can't really quickly turn around and tank our economy that way. So, but something has to happen based on, like, what's the train wreck going to look like? And this is it. This is the train wreck. It's where we get so polarized internally between the, you know, take two sides, just divide all the way apart to completely different non-intersecting narratives about what the truth is and what's going on, and then gird for battle. And I've had friends of mine who talk about buying guns and preparing for the coming civil war, people who seem to me to be rational, sane, calm individuals. And I'm like, wow, this narrative is powerful. If my friends are being convinced that there's going to be shooting and blood in the streets, right? And I don't think it's going to happen. But the fact that that many people could be convinced that it is about to happen to me is remarkable and a sign that we are operating to a very high degree, dangerously high degree from fear-based values in this country specifically. Yeah, I mean, my uh, explanation is, uh, and I've talked about it before, is, uh, and other Jungians have agreed, is that uh, this is the age of Hermes, and the, the mm-hmm. archetype of Hermes has taken over this country. It's always been here, the founding fathers and Hermeticism, Rosicrucians with the Native Americans and the Coyote, but somehow it's been just completely weaponized, so we are ruled by the trickster, for better or worse. But mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's sort of my... Uh, Youngian take, and uh, what do you? What about you, Rachel? What's your take? Well, I was thinking your question was, what could our leaders do better? And you know, first of all, they're not my leaders. Just want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But you know, they could understand their individual purpose. They could seek to understand the purpose of this country. Um. Western civilization is unique and we have a purpose that has something to do with our Western civilization. Our culture is unique. And um, 
understanding history and, you know, all of this, just folding it into some kind of magnificent visionary purpose that we're all on this journey. And this is what we're doing here in the U.S. And, and this is the part we play in the world. Maybe yeah, we lost our purpose right. like in the 50s or something. <clears throat> we used to have one, actually. Right. We're one of the few countries that really had a purpose. <clears throat> what do you think happened? Um, it, it became individualized. So there used to be much more civic society in the U.S. where people were part of clubs and groups and organizations that were trying to advance different causes and stuff like that. And after the 60s, it became very much uh, about the individual, which I think is part of the overall healthy evolution of society. But it, 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 as a way station, it created a lot of problems. Um and so this is where you got, you know, the greed of the 80s and the leverage buyouts and all this and, 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 and the, the laissez-faire view of economics as being only existing to create profit for shareholders and not needing to provide any service to society beyond that. Um, and all these ideas, which were not present in the 40s and 50s, a much more of a sense of civic responsibility, um, national purpose, and individual responsibility to contribute to uh, the, the community or society in some meaningful way. And that stuff got thrown under the bus as as we kind of worked our way up through these these different uh, levels of consciousness, and I think it's coming back around in the form of um, organizational purpose and individual purpose and conscious capitalism and these sorts of movements where people are sort of rediscovering the idea that work can be noble and companies can contribute to a better world and it doesn't need to be all just based on pure selfishness and assume that it'll all work out for the best. Yeah, well, definitely. I, so. I, I will say along the lines of what Rachel's saying that, that um, government as an institution is deeply wounded and dysfunctional, right? As not psychologically healthy business as an institution has its flaws, but it's much more functional and much psychologically healthier than government. So if they were both people, you'd have more fun hanging out with business than hanging out with government. Yeah, I would say so. Any questions on your end, Vance, or from the audience? Well, this would be a little bit of a shift of gears, but um, uh, Jeremy L., hope you're still around, uh, Jeremy, <laughs> but it's a good question. Um, he's asking about the guided meditations and the guided hypnosis that you find on YouTube videos. What are the pros and cons of those? Um, and can those videos damage normal I'm sorry, what kind of videos again? I just one word on the other hand. Oh, you know, uh, meditation, yeah, I, hypnosis. I, I think it's hard to do harm with that kind of stuff. I mean, I suppose someone could maliciously put subliminal stuff like, you know, send me Bitcoin or something and in, in, in something like that. But you know, that, that kind of stuff doesn't work that well. That's why companies gave up on subliminal advertising. Really blunt advertising turns out to work much better. Um, so, uh, so I don't, I don't know if that stuff's damaged. I mean, I think, you know, try it. I have, I have a friend in Israel, a guy named Daron Libstein, whose company basically sells meditations. And so you can go buy meditations from 
Uh, it's it's called a mentor's channel. You can buy meditations from different teachers and stuff like that. And, and it's a lot of really cool stuff. And so you have to kind of find what floats your boat. And part of the problem with that sort of, with that, what I call the transformation industry, where people are selling transformation-based services and products, is it's really vast and complex and contains all sorts of stuff. And it's very difficult to figure out which piece is actually going to work for you as an individual based on where you are in your own journey. Because um, all the pitches basically say, well, no matter who you are, no matter what's going on for you, this is exactly the right thing for you. And they all say that. So it's, it's difficult. Like in a college, you can go to the guidance counselor and get help picking a major or knowing which courses to take. And it's hard to find that guidance counselor function. So I don't think any of it's actively harmful um, unless it's giving you negative messages about yourself or about parts of yourself. Um, yeah. <clears throat> How about you, Rachel? What, what do you think about it? Um, you know, I I'm such a fan of this framework that Tim has for finding purpose. And I guess that's where I like to park my energies and my time. It might be worth us talking about that framework. I feel like just hearing about it kind of lights people up uh, in terms Let's of... Let's do it. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's... Uh, several parts. And the first part you you uh, find out about is called essence. And uh, I'll just lead off here, Tim, and then you can. Go Are you just going to lob it over to me? Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> what Rachel's talking about is in, in the system I created, there are four different types of purpose statements that you can find. And these are difficult to do, to do using the, the indirect sort of connect the dots method, it's much easier when you go into the unconscious, then you're more likely to get all four. Um, so essence is a state of being. So when I'm being my purpose, what am I being? When you're being your purpose, what are you being? Well, when you're being your purpose, you're being something different than when I'm being my purpose, because we're not the same person. Right? So we're all so what walks in being something unique. <clears throat> What's that? It's also what walks in the room when you walk in the room and That's right. when you leave. That's right. When you show up, everyone in the room suddenly gets bathed in your essence, right. completely invisible to you because it's always there for you. But now we all get a big dose of your essence when you walk in the room. So and other people are way better judges of it than you are. Go ahead, Rachel. And it's what we miss when you're not there, when you're not around. Yeah. We're deprived of your essence when you're not here. Mm. So that's would you like me to read my essence? Statement? Oh, I would be so delighted. <laughs> I would. What? It's the same for all time from the first. That's okay. I would still be delighted to hear it again. <laughs> I am the life that is really life. That's my essence statement. Indeed so you are. Do you want to hear mine, Rachel? It's probably changed since you yeah. asked her. Yeah. Yeah. I am the herald of the realization of heaven on earth. <clears throat> wow. I like that. I'm, I'm here to announce. You'll all be pleased to know. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So that's that's essence. Blessing, the second aspect, is what you do when you're doing your purpose, right? There's being and there's doing. So the essence is what you be when you're being your purpose. The doing is what you do when you're doing your purpose. So when you're doing your purpose, you're doing something different than when I'm doing my purpose. It's a repeatable process, usually involves other people, like I do my blessing to you, I bless you. Mm -hmm. And it changes you in some way when I do it. 
So maybe it connects you to your divinity or it heals your wounds or it shows you your true self or it, you know, shows you the path to bliss. Who knows what, right? could be anything, but it's something I do to you that moves you in some transformational direction. Rachel, want to read yours? Yeah. So <clears throat> blessing is to help people take hold of the life that is really life. And I do this by walking in the room and noticing the people. And I can sort of tell the intuitives from the non-intuitives. And my purpose is to help primarily intuitives. And then I engage them in what matters most and uh, talk to them about the life that's really life and help them become sustainable and self-sufficient in their quest. There you go. Mm -hmm. And mine is to lead people to heaven on earth. That's my blessing. Yeah. And, I, and typically I do that with leaders who are trying to change the world and are frustrated. I was just talking to one today. He's like, Tim, I'm so frustrated. It's not changing fast enough. And I said, yes, well, the good news is that you're exactly the person I've been put on this planet to help. <laughs> <laughs> you're at the right place at the right time. Right. Right. So we are That's here. the good news. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third is mission, which is just what it sounds like, right? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to change the world in the following way. So it could be save the whales, feed the starving children, raise human consciousness, and climate change, whatever. Rachel? <clears throat> yeah, I've got several missions. One mm -hmm. is to usher in an alternative to hierarchy. That's the mm -hmm. collaborative operating system. And that includes educating people on the dangers and dysfunction of uh, some hierarchical systems. Mm -hmm. Another is to call forth and train agents of change. Um, and another is to authorize, bless, and serve those who are called to cross the threshold into consciousness, into, you know, red pill and becoming awake. I want to add another one, though, Tim. Mm -hmm. What I want to add is I want to um, raise hell with the vainglorious megalomaniacs running our country. <laughs> I'm with you. I hey. believe you, Rachel. I believe that you want to do that. <laughs> Need to go check with your sources and see if that's really a mission. No, no, I just want to do it. Okay, all right. Well, then I think you should indulge yourself. Own it as a personal desire and knock yourself out. Right. <laughs> Don't need anybody's permission. Um, so uh, my mission is to reveal and create heaven on earth. Right? And, the, and the reveal part's important. Because if you just say create heaven on earth, it implies that there's no heaven on earth present currently, which is not true. There's lots of heaven on earth here currently. We're, as we said earlier, we're just not seeing it because we're focused on the negative. Well, we don't have to change everything. Gospel, uh, we only have to change some of it. <clears throat> straight out of the Gospel of Thomas, the kingdom is all around and men do not see it. So and, it. and you split split a piece of wood and oh, I am there. Yeah. <laughs> well, right now, baby Jesus is in the barn with Rachel. So there you go. <laughs> and then the last aspect of purpose is message. What were you put on this earth to communicate to others what wisdom do you have to share with the world mm. rachel <laughs> well one of my newer messages is that humanity is crossing a threshold together mm -hmm. consciousness is our superpower it will take all we have and we have all that it takes mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Mine's interestingly similar, which I didn't realize until this moment. Yeah. The time to create heaven on earth is now. We have everything we need to create it. In fact, we have exactly what we need to create it. And trying to get rid of anything will slow the process down or make it fail. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. So that so ideally, if you go poking around the unconscious, you would wind up with all four of those in essence, a blessing, a mission, and a message. Usually not on the first pass. It takes time to get them all. Rachel and I have been at this for a while. Um, <clears throat> but first time you might get one or two, right? And the idea is you have to create enough safety that you can go in and ask and ask whatever it seems like in your belief system ought to know the answer, your higher self or yourself with a capital S or your inner light or your soul or your heart or your gut or your intuition or your dead grandma or your guardian angel or God or the force or Buddha, Allah, whatever. doesn't matter. It's up to you to pick an agency that in your belief system, internal or external, that ought to know your purpose. And then the idea is you want to get two-way communication working with it so you can ask and it can answer, what's my essence? What's my blessing? What's my mission? What's my message? Yeah, it's really wonderful. And how did you come up with it? Trial and error? Uh, Download. Spontaneous download. revelation. <laughs> most most so people good. don't know the real meaning of the word apocalypse, but I bet you know, Miguel. Yeah, Any good Gnostic knows that apocalypse is a synonym for revelation. Yes. And when people say, oh, no, it's the apocalypse, you're actually saying, oh, no, I'm about to get hidden knowledge revealed to me. Yeah. That's that's what that sentence actually means, <laughs> which isn't really something you need to avoid necessarily. <laughs> when people talk about like the world ending and everything, they're talking about a specific apocalypse. That was the revelation or apocalypse synonyms to John. And so we get all of our stuff about the seals and the 666 and the four horsemen, all that from a particular revelation of secret knowledge. That, that's what apocalypse means. So. It was an apocalypse, Miguel, a revelation. I found my purpose and the true purpose methodology and my first mission all at the same time within a couple of minutes. And I learned that I was here to help other people find their purpose. And at that time, my mission was to transform business from a profit-driven activity to a purpose-driven activity. That was the mission I was given, along with the knowledge of how to find people's purpose. And I was like, oh, okay. I can do that. Wonderful. And uh, and I guess it should be mentioned, it doesn't have to be, not everybody has to save the whale or anything like that. Some people could be, I just want to be the coach of 10-year-old uh, boys. Well, this is where the blessing comes in. You do your purpose to one person, and then you go, you do your purpose to one other person. And every time you do that, you're saving the world. Um, and your mission may not be global. It may be to end gang violence in your city or heal your family or something. I had one person recently in a workshop whose mission was the her trusted source told her, heal yourself. That's your mission. <laughs> when, when you're done with that, we can talk about other things. But for now, that's your mission. Heal yourself. It's like, cool. Right? Mission has to have an endpoint, right? Mission accomplished. That has an endpoint. It qualifies. Check. We're good. <laughs> And your book obviously offers d different techniques. It does. It gets into this in a lot of detail. Something that yeah. Can, yeah, that works for everybody. You can find yeah. Yeah, the right purpose. fit for you. 
to be able to. That's right. There's lots of different techniques. And they don't all work for everybody. And there's a whole thing that I didn't really get into, which is the reason most people can't do two-way communication with the universe or their higher self or whatever is they've got fears in the way. And until you can clear those fears out of the way, that phone is just going to, you know, it's just not really going to work. And so the whole first part of the book is devoted to what do you do with those fears? What do you do with the parts of you that don't want you to know your purpose and don't want you to be able to talk to your true self? Like, how, how do you deal with that so that you can get it all to work? Because you can't just kind of Nike, just do it, right? That doesn't work. You have to actually sit down and deal with that stuff and get it out of the way so the the channel is clear because the frightened voices in your head are louder than the ones that know your purpose well i guess that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question i keep uh dating myself everybody said there must be another more modern term but it just works but <laughs> I, I it, it sounds current to me i'm i think really? we're in the same generation so it didn't, <laughs> didn't cause any disturbance in my force at all so yeah well, those millennials are abandoning us by the droves because we're so square i just said square. <laughs> anyway uh that's another i just dated myself but Fear. That's it. That's really from Dune. Fear is the mind killer, Tim. What yep. would you, how would you define fear? Most people think fear is simply I'm avoiding pain. So that's good. Well, uh, there's a great line from an otherwise terrible movie uh, with Will Smith. What was it called? Where they're on the after earth or something like that. I can't remember. It was him and his son on this fighting great these speed. creatures that can smell fear and all this kind of thing. Anyway, he said that uh, risk is real. Fear is a choice. I thought, oh, that's good. I like that. Good distinction, right? There is real danger in the world. Fear is an emotional state in response to usually perceived danger, not actual danger. Most fear is in response to an internal self-constructed scenario of something that might go wrong in the future. The vast majority of fear falls in that category. There can be reason to have concern about things that might go wrong, but being in the state of fear does not, except in very rare circumstances, equip one to deal with them well. The, the, the way the brain works is when you go, you know, oh no, X bad thing might happen, this tiny little thing called the amygdala takes over, and it is not a long-term strategic thinker and problem solver, right? It is a run from the lion thing. Now, if there's an actual lion there, this is life-saving, right? It will get you moving immediately and it might save your life. But if the threat is a possible market downturn or an upset spouse, it's not effective at all, right? Or uh, uh, potentially being laid off at work. It's not effective at all. Those are complicated relationship problems or strategic problems that require uh, cerebral cortex thinking. And the first thing the amygdala does is shut off the cerebral cortex, then starts taking action, right? So being in a state of fear generally equips you poorly to deal with complex, changing, risk-filled situations. So learning to manage fear is very important, right? So in the true purpose process, a lot of the time and energy, in fact, much, if not most of the time and energy goes in teaching people how to envision the way of dealing with risk in a positive rather than negative frame. Rather than saying, oh no, I might not have enough money. It's actually better to say, I need at least this much money. 
right? And then, and even better to say, I'm earning at least this much money, even if you're currently not. So you know that you're not, right? It's not like you're deluding yourself that you're earning this money, but you're framing it as a goal rather than a threat. And if you frame it as a goal, then the, the problem solving part of your brain kicks in to try to figure out how to get that to happen instead of the fear part that wants to run away and won't be able to increase your income because it's just going to run away or attack, which won't increase your income either. Um, so, so that, so there's, there's tricks we play with the brain so that the person's in a state of calm as they envision the future, as they ask about their purpose, as they strategize how to manifest their purpose, even though there's risk in all of those things, being in a state of fear doesn't make you more able to deal with that risk. And does this include going and talk about the future again? Will Smith mm -hmm. telling Qatar, danger is real, but fear is a mm -hmm. choice. It, it is right. near insanity. He's 100% right. Fear is mm -hmm. near insanity, or mm -hmm. it is insanity. Well, what about going to the past? You had to go face your dad mm -hmm. telling you you don't know enough. I'm sure it's mm -hmm. afraid to go within, inward. To the very past. frightening. Very the whole frightening. psyche wants to go the other direction, not that way. Like I said before, yeah, so it's saying I, I want to avoid directly this upstream. Take, yeah, yeah. So it's so. very unpleasant, very frightening. And I was just talking with a client earlier today. He's a guy who works in a, a Dutch company, and his his bias, as many people in the spiritual kind of community are, is towards the future and towards the positive. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, why would I want to go back and deal with unpleasant memories? And the answer is because they're unconsciously dragging you down all the time. So if you actually go back and deal with it and spend, you know, minutes, hours or days dealing with the unpleasant past, and then it frees you from dragging it around, that's time well spent mm -hmm. as opposed to continually trying to suppress it and pretend it's not there and then dragging it along with you like a ball and chain, which is what it's called a spiritual bypass. Like everything's fine, right? I'm happy. I'm good. I'm only thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about all the horrible things that happened in my childhood, right? It's like, well, okay, you're not thinking about it consciously, but some disowned parts of you are thinking about it all the time and they are creating noise and dragging the system. I guarantee it. So, it, so health, it's not to go in and wallow in it. It's to go in and transform it and heal it and, and redeem it so that it's no longer a weight. It still happened, but I don't have to be oppressed by it. So I have to face the fear of going into this dark material, this unconscious stuff. And then when I do, I am freed from it forever. Rachel, yeah. your thoughts on that? Rachel. Yeah. No, I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> Sorry. She's just smiling and looking happy in agreement. <laughs> you know, this is one example where, you know, um, self-hypnosis or meditation or whatever can be an, um, a tool for avoidance to do the spiritual bypassing and not mm -hmm. face the issues because they're uncomfortable. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to meditate. You know, so you put yourself to sleep. Now that's not to say meditation's uh, not not a great thing, but it's got to be used like any tool when it's appropriate. 
That's right. So with a hammer, you can, you know, drive nails and make a temple. You can hit yourself in the thumb and cause yourself pain, or you can bang someone's skull in with it and kill them, right? It's the same tool either way. So the question is, what's your intent and how are you using meditation? So meditation is a wonderful thing, strongly recommended. It, you know, it, it actually stimulates the opposite of the stress response, like the hypothalamus. It just calms everything down and, 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 and uh, you tend to live longer, lower blood pressure, all kinds of benefits from meditation. And if you're doing it as a strategy for avoiding negative feelings, then it's a spiritual bypass. And, um, and so, you know, my feeling is do all of it, right? Do the meditation, find your purpose, explore the wounds from the past enough to be free of them so you can move towards your purpose. Most people, when they aggressively start to manifest their purpose, they start tripping over their childhood wounds. That's what typically happens. Mm. Um, that the, the original patterns that got created now start to interfere. Now, they were survival patterns and they caused you to survive, right? So they worked. But now they start to interfere in the forward progress and evolution. And so that's when you realize you have to, okay, now I have to turn backwards and deal with this stuff in order to move forwards. Otherwise, it's going to keep impeding me on the path. Right. What saved you in the first half of life will impede you or destroy mm -hmm. you in the second half of life. Yeah. <clears throat> Very, very interesting. And uh, in, in the Course in Miracles, everything we do when we're angry, upset is projection. Do you go mm -hmm. this far, Tim? Absolutely. And every time I'm upset, even in Alcoholics Anonymous, it was taught me every, th every time I'm upset is because there's something wrong with me. It became something we had to hammer it into well, our I, head. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with the something wrong with. I would say anything that any time I'm upset, I am projecting, if I'm really upset at another person or an event or something like that, then I am seeing a reflection of some unresolved aspect of my unconscious. Interestingly, when you're in a really positive reaction, the same is true. If you're adoring someone or looking up to someone or feeling like, oh my God, she's so great, I could never be like her. When you're doing that, you're actually doing the exact same thing. Now you're out projecting a positive aspect to your unconscious rather than negative. And positive and negative, not in terms of one's good or bad or right or wrong, positive or negative in terms of how you react to them, <laughs> right? And either way, it's just more unconscious material being sort of projected over reality for you to get to see yourself. But it looks like, it's kind of like watching a movie, right? Where what you're really looking at is a piece of reflective fabric. That's what you're looking at. But you don't see the piece of reflective fabric. You're not paying attention to that. You're paying attention to the light bouncing off of it. But that light's coming from behind you. It's not actually in front of you, right? So it's the same thing. When you look at reality and you're upset, what you're, the person standing in front of you is actually a piece of reflective fabric. And what you're seeing is something that from your own past that's being broadcast and reflecting off of them and back to you. And so it's not a current time event. It's an emotional reaction to a past time event being brought forward into present time. And that means there's an opportunity for healing and for claiming and redeeming some aspect of your unconscious and some aspect of your past. But in the moment when you're having a reaction, that's not what you're thinking. 
you're not thinking, hmm, I wonder in what way some aspect of my past is being reflected to me. But you're thinking, this bitch needs to die, right? I mean, that's yeah. what you're thinking. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like oh, and you're, you're sure so of it. <clears throat> you're creating a fiction. You are so mm -hmm. beautiful. Or even when people right. are complaining about Trump or Biden, it's like, man, you are Trump is a fabulous shit. projection screen for everybody, He's right? the best. The people we on the right are all oh, like, you know, yeah. adoring and seeing him as the savior and all this kind of stuff. And the people on the left are like, oh my God, this is the antichrist made flesh. They're both just projecting. <clears throat> yeah. But don't tell them that because then you get screamed at. It's like, yeah, then they'll start projecting me? on you. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the good yeah. news about me and Rachel can confirm this too, is I'm sufficiently impersonal that if people project really awful stuff on me, I don't mind that much. Is there a way you can defend against people projecting on you? Absolutely uh, not. Everyone's projecting okay. on you all the time. <laughs> There's no nothing you can do. Word or uncle, no. Uncle, no, 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 no. And saying, oh, by the way, what you're doing is really projecting on me. It has nothing to do with me. Doesn't help at all. <laughs> no. it's my wife, it never helps. And sometimes no, I say no. it just for as a some sort of defense. I don't even mean it. I'm like, you're yeah. projecting, and I know it's 100 percent my fault. But right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Got to get out of this argument some yeah. way. No, that's that, that's the new age defense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta yeah, do. Yeah, people who are really psychologically psychologically aware the arguments sound different. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is great. All right. Well, as we're getting towards the end, any last questions from you, Vans, or the audience that you see? Well, we had one uh a long time ago. <laughs> uh yeah, because we've been talking a lot. Uh uh about how we go inward, how, you know, what practical examples, um, Rachel and Tim, you know, what rec methods do you recommend for going within, you know? Tim? Sure. So one of my favorites, one of the really simplest one, that's a very good general purpose, useful tool is something called active imagination. And it was created by Carl Jung, um, our buddy. And, uh, there's many different forms of it, but the, the form I find that's most accessible to beginners is the written form. And so you decide that you want to explore something internal, right? Now it could be like, like I said before that, you know, in there somewhere is a wounded child who remembers vividly what your core wound was and what happened and what you felt at the time, even though you've suppressed all that stuff right? There's a part of you that knows, doesn't even have to think about it. So if you wanted to explore that, you could have a dialogue with your wounded child. If you wanted to find your purpose, you would have a dialogue with your higher self or God or your, you know, true self or the universe or whatever made sense to you, right? Yeah. Um, grandma, dead grandma. It, it could be anything, just something that to you seems like it ought to know your purpose, internal or external, my heart, my intuition, external, my spirit guide, whatever. So you pick something like that, um, and then you would be able to interview it about your purpose, right? Or maybe there's some pattern you notice yourself doing, and you want to talk to the part of you that's the author, the creator of that pattern. I notice I'm always picking the same kind of men. No matter how much I try to do something different, it always turns out to be the same damn guy every time. <laughs> Who's been there making these choices? Who's picking? <laughs> so whatever part of you want to talk to, what you do is you write out a dialogue with it. So I would write Tim Colon. Hey, I want to talk to the part of me that chooses my mates, my partners, right? 
part colon. I don't know which part it is yet. Oh yeah, that's me. Tim colon, what should I call you? Uh, part colon, call me partner picker. Tim colon, okay, partner picker. What criteria are you using to pick partners, partner picker? Well, you'll be surprised to know that da -da 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 -da. Tim Cullen, well, that sure explains a lot, right? So, <laughs> so you can do it on a computer, like in a Word doc, or you can do it with a pen on a piece of paper, but you have to put names who's talking in front of each line. That's the critical part right there. That's the essential piece. If you're not doing that, you're doing a different exercise. So it looks like a screenplay or an SMS chat. Name, sentence, name, sentence, name, sentence, like that. And you can use that to talk to anything. And it works great. And it almost all, it usually works on the first try, right? Some things are harder to talk to than others, but it 90% of the time, you'll just get what you're going for right away. Um, so that's a really, really good general purpose self-exploration tool that's super easy to use. Usually it works so well that people get intimidated and stop using it, is uh -huh. my experience. Um, and they're like, oh boy, that worked a little too well. I'm going to go over here and watch TV now. <laughs> <laughs> well, suppose you, feel in, sad. you know, suppose you feel sad during the holidays. You know, Miguel mentioned at the beginning that, you know, we were uh, hoping to help people with that. You know, I, I'm sad, you know, I don't feel right. good in Christmas, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Who would you talk to? You you know, who would well, this this happened with a client today. He said, Tim, I've been really depressed. I've been even having like mild suicidal thoughts and stuff. And I said, okay, let's find out which part that is. <clears throat> and so who in there, so he writes his name, John Colin. I want to talk to the part of me that's generating the suicidal thoughts, part Colin. That's me, John Colin. So what's that about, right? As it turned out, what was going on was the part was trying to warn him when he was off track. And the way it would do that was by sending depressive emotions. And the more off track you get, the more depressed emotions would send. It's like, I'm not trying to stop him, the part says. It's just a signal. <clears throat> I don't want him to like crawl into bed for a week. I want him to do something about the problem. This is just, this is how I communicate. This is how I send signals. It was very helpful for him to understand mm -hmm. that. Now he knows, oh, when I'm feeling this way, that's a signal from this part. Something's off. What is it? So the name, uh, the name was a long name, the part that was. Well, that, it said, uh, I, I, I actually talked to it and I asked it, well, what would you like to be called? I gave it some ideas. Uh, it said, call me depression. It said, depression's a good name. Ah, uh, okay. So now he knows to talk to the part of him when he feels that it's like, go to the part called depression and say, you know, John Cullen, Hey, depression, I'm feeling you. What are you signaling about? What's the issue? Depression colon, well, this thing at work where da 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 da, that's a real problem and you've been ignoring. You need to focus on that. John Colin, great, I'm on it. Thanks. Right. And now he can go deal with the actual issue and then the feeling just serves as a signal. That's how it worked in him. I have no idea how it will work in you. Right. That's for you to figure out, but that's the method to go in and look for and talk to instead of speculating about talk to the one actually creating the phenomenon and find out what its motive is <clears throat> well, that's wonderful very good what about you rachel any techniques you want to share well i love active imagination for all the reasons tim tim said dream work is also wonderful but mm. it is it, it takes oh, complicated <laughs> yeah, 
(laughs) (laughs) But our dreams are showing us at all times where we are in our hero's journey, where we are with respect to our purpose. And they're showing us the next step. So once you learn to decipher this, uh, you can get a snapshot or several every morning when you wake up. Well, and you can use active imagination with your dream. This is what you were talking about at the very beginning, Miguel, right? So let's say I have a dream, and in the dream, um, I, I had one, uh, a female submarine captain, short blonde. <clears throat> like, okay. <laughs> What's this? And I, I did 23 years in the Navy, so submarine captain's not that far off, right? Uh, right. So I had a submarine repair unit that I was the commanding officer. So, um, so but, th- but this is a dream symbol, this short blonde submarine captain, right? So what I did was I sat down, you know, Tim Colon, Captain Colon, right? So now I say, okay, hey there, hun, like what what are you doing in my dream? Right? This is the question. What what are you what do you represent? What are you trying to communicate? So that's something anyone can do. Rachel and I are trained in much more sophisticated methods of dream interpretation, but that would be enough to get started, right? If you have a, a dream that really strikes you or is very memorable or has strong feelings associated with it, start interviewing the different characters from the dream and find out what they're up to. Yeah, that's something I've done. I started dream interpretation a couple of years ago. And uh, at first, I, I would tell the audience, don't put too much pressure on yourself. If you're having a dialogue with the psyche, it's all going to work out. I used to think oh, I got to be like Tony Soprano and me- have this vivid dream and perfect. Now I realize... If I'm having a dialogue with the psyche, it that right there is half the battle. Yep. And like Jung said, is you don't have to interpret your symbols and images. You experience in them. Let them flow through you and everything will work out. So yeah, whether I'm doing dream, dream interpretation or the I Ching or all these tools to really get to give a voice to my unconscious is, is right. I think. And so true. two quick comments. So uh, DF says, aren't they all aspects of yourself? Answer, yes, everything in a dream represents you. It may also represent other things at the same time, but it definitely represents a part of yourself and may also represent something else. So if you have your kid in your dream or your spouse in your dream or your parents in your dream, they're still representing parts of you. They may also represent something external. And someone said active imagination seems to require clairvoyant abilities, not at all try it. People think, well, I won't know what to write. Nah, just try it. You'd be surprised at how well it works. People are like, but do I have to do this? Do I have to be in a certain state? I'm like, no, no, no. Shut up. Start writing. (laughs) (laughs) It it works surprisingly well with little or no preparation or training. Awesome. And Vance, do you want to offer some uh, tools that have worked out for you recently? Anything you'd like to share? Well, um, one form of meditation that I've been using recently, and I just start up, is the I Ching because um, I'll cast it and it tells me something, and I um, I think about it. It puts me into a meditative type of state where I think about the situation I ask about, and then I think about the um, the hexagram's meaning, and that's um, uh, you know that's uh, the other thing I do. <laughs> If something's really bothering me and I don't want it to tell to shut up, 
I do that. And that actually works, you know, if it's because I know, I'm, you know, if some horrible thing, you know, that I'm projecting, well, what if this, what if that? And so I realize that these are things that I am, you know, just imagining that will, uh, that might happen. And uh, I'm not doing anything positive to avoid it. I'm just wallowing in it. So I said, all right, shut up. All right. And it goes away, you know, um, sometimes it doesn't, in which case I know I have to do something pretty soon. Uh, that's the, those are a couple of, just a couple of the things. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Well, awesome. We are at the end. Uh, I should have said at the beginning, uh, this will be the audio version will come out in a couple of days on again, on iTunes, iHeartRadio, all that incredible conversation. I hope it's helped. This show will be, the audio version will be complete. There will not be, it'll be free on Patreon. You won't have to subscribe. I'm just going to give it out. It's sort of a, a Christmas holiday gift. And uh, with our wonderful guests, I think it is a great gift, a gift especially in these dark times. And uh, I hope it does help. Uh, but for more help, Tim, could you tell the audience where to find out more about you and your work, uh, where to purchase your book and all that? Yeah, so uh, you can either go to, like, if you want to work with me directly, it would be newparadigmgloballeader.com. Newparadigmgloballeader.com. And then if you're really interested in the true purpose process, then it would be truepurposeinstitute.com. And you can buy the book there. You can also get it on Amazon. There it is, True Purpose. Um, you can get, you can get get it at, at trueperposeinstitute.com. You can also find coaches who can help you find your purpose. Um, who are trained in the methodology. They're they're really really skillful. We have a very very rigorous certification program. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, and and whether you want help from me or not, like go go for it. Go along the path. Take the next step. Use the act of imagination. Talk to some part of yourself. You know, ask it. Ask it about your purpose. Go, go, do something. Take something from this call, and don't don't let it just be a neat thing you listen to. Do something with it. Yes, you matter. You do have a purpose, and you have so much to offer to the world. Each one of us. That is a cosmic law. I promise you. Don't go away. Don't sell yourself short. So, uh, Rachel, anything you want to off, uh, offer about where to find you or anything else before we say buenas noches? I just want to underscore our time today and just say, you know, all psychic health depends upon the strength of that connection with our mighty self. And this is an action packed and high adventure approach to a very strong connection. And, um, it's a very powerful way to live your life. You'll look back every six months and you won't know who you were six months ago. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome. Well, Rachel, thank you very much for coming again. Always awesome talking to you. Mm -hmm. we, we email each other enough, but it's always nice talking to you. Thank you. And thank you, Moondog, too. No, of course. Uh, couldn't do it without uh, Vance. And Tim, it has truly been an honor and a pleasure having you on on AM Byte and appreciate everything you've done, everything you've shared, and appreciate your time. Oh, I, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And according to the chat, apparently now I'm an honorary Nostoid. I'm not quite sure what that is, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll we'll get you. Initiated. I, but I'm honored honored to be one. So awesome, awesome. And uh, last but never least, uh, Vance. Thanks very much for uh, coming here and keeping us company and keeping uh, the wonderful audience in the chat room uh, happy and served and all that. I try, and it's uh, my pleasure to be here, as I always say, and uh, I just love hanging out with everybody that we have coming around into the Aeon Bite tent. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, audience, I really love seeing you in the chat room. Great questions. I hope this has helped. We are just getting started. Uh, There is so much to learn, so much to find out, to find out who our true selves. And it is, uh, as Rachel says, it's the greatest adventure of a lifetime. And it can be an amazing adventure. Can be hard, can be painful. But uh, hey, that's what heroes do. Simple as that. It wasn't easy for Jesus. Wasn't easy for Buddha or Muhammad or any. So why should it be easy for us? It's simple as that. So anyway, thank you very much for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self here in the desert of the real. Happy holiday, sol- solstice or whatever you celebrate. And we will talk to each other soon. Hello and goodbye as always.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.